when you can find out the why to your existence as the meaning to your existence then you can deal with almost any anything anyhow you can figure a way and um and so you're right having that finding the meaning within something if, if, if that's a, if that's something that you hold strongly then you you're going to be able to deal with all the knockbacks all the rejections all the shit that gets thrown at you because the thing that's driving you is much greater than you know where you're at you know what's happening for you in that moment uh welcome everyone to melbourne reconnect podcast number three we're at reconnect hq today um the home office of founder nicholas dunnan um with a very special guest today gabrielle vargas welcome thanks mate. for having me thanks for having us how are you guys right very good gab it's funny you guys look different without uh, footy shorts on <laughs> <laughs> better so, well <laughs> yeah i think you look better thanks you know yeah um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, you know, we're talking just before about how we've, we're all sort of come to be connected and it's funny that we're going to be sitting here today and having this very, what I feel was going to be enlightening conversation about where we come from is the, the, the footy field, you know, that's how we've been connected, obviously, you know, Nick and I through Claremont, you played at Claremont as well, but I never played with you, Paul. Mm. Um, See, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't know that that is. Sorry? This is a Melbourne Reconnect conversation, yeah. a Perth history conversation yeah. right yeah. now. So. I didn't even know you guys played footy together at Claremont. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I we didn't did. even know your connection. Yeah, we, well, I think I, didn't, I won the best in Furious and then you were runner-up one year. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. so we kind of remember it. Wow. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. So you were a footy star before your brother? <laughs> no, nah, look, I, look, I would have been a way better player if I had made it, if I had not. I, was, I didn't have it in me, mate, to be honest, passion. Um, and injuries took its toll, but... Um, probably stuck at it a couple of years longer than I should have just because I love playing with my mates but um yeah that's um that's that and here we are today in Melbourne certainly different human beings to what we were yeah. back then so I think Gab you're quite interesting in terms of your path of you always quite passionate about music back then mm. and then now you've gone down your direction to I think you've gone through phases of wanting to be a rock star <laughs> and then you know, more now in line with creating a, you know, a more authentic, you know, sound that's kind of aligned to the direction where you're going personally within yourself. Do you want to share a little bit? I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, the thing with, for for me, music was something that was was always there. Uh, It took me a while to realize it, but, you know, I can remember from a young age um, just having this passion or or want to, to perform you know, and, and entertain people. And so, you know, I grew up listening a lot to my um, stepfather's vinyl, which was the Beatles, the Stones, and I was a massive Elvis fan from, from a young age to the point where I used to grease my hair like Elvis. And, um, you know, I think when I was eight years old, my mum was like, what do you want for Christmas? And, you know, as an eight-year-old, I was like, I want an Elvis costume. And so she made this thing, you know, this this suit with tassels and diamantes and the big collar and I'd strut around in this as a, as a kid. So music was always there, you know, and I got my first guitar when I was 13 and learned to play some songs. And But it was always kind of in the background because footy for me was what I wanted to do. Well, at that age, that's what I thought I wanted to do. I wanted to play AFL football. 
and um, and which that was which yeah. my brother went on, and that my brother is for those of you listening, Hitia Lumumba, and that's how the connection is made through Paul as well, other than Claremont. Um, so you know, as he's he's two years younger than me, and so growing up, you know, we always have our little footy battles as as brothers do. And, uh, you know, fortunately for him, he went on and, and forged a really good career out of it. Um, but for me, it was, it was a different process. I was you know, coming up through the ranks playing representative footy. Um, but from the age of 15 or 16, I can't even remember now, but I had my first shoulder uh, operation, which kind of set me back a bit. And for the next uh, five years, I, I stopped playing when I was 20. I had another shoulder reconstruction plus uh, dislocated the other one and then what ended it all for me was a disc bulge when I was 20 years old in my in my back so my path in footy was cut short and um, during that time as well I was studying I went to uni I was studying psychology which I ended, uh, ended up finishing got the degree and you know at, at that time everything kind of stopped I realized okay footy's over I've got my degree, but I'm not sure this is what I want to do. Um, definitely not the way it was taught to me. It was quite very cold and, you know, everything's kind of scientific. And uh, for me, there was always this, I know there's more out there, but I wasn't getting it from uni. And so the only other thing where I could find this connection to something greater was through music. Um, and what happened, I went to Brazil, actually, when I finished uni with my brother. And we were there for about, three or four weeks and I was in Rio and I, something hit me there and I decided that when I got back to Australia, I was going to spend my time focusing on being a musician. And um, so I got back and got a band together after, in a couple of years. At that point, I'd never written a song, just started the process. Um, but as Nick, as you've mentioned, it was all about wanting to be a rock star back then. You know, I was still in that very much early to mid-twenties, you know, um, wanting to be seen, wanting to, there's a very egoic pattern of behavior. And it used to, you know, as you guys both know, in the footy environment, that was all like the more ego you had, the higher up the chain you were almost. You know, the more alpha you were, the more respect you commanded. And so the, when I look back now, I think that just got translated into into music for me and so it was all about being a rock star and even within the the band scenario I was always you know the guy I'm the leader I'm the one that's fucking at the front I'm singing um and uh and from there you know it evolved the band changed uh direction we, we moved from Perth to Melbourne and uh and it got to a point I think it was 2013 where I just went you know what I don't, I don't want to be in this band anymore I don't know what I want to do, but it's not this. And uh, funnily enough, went back to Brazil in the last couple of years. And there again, I started you know, on this journey of self-discovery, which really was happening before that. But I think it was there again where I decided that, you know, I want to really want to focus on using music to serve a greater purpose and to, um, you know, do good in this world. And, uh, and that's where we are today. I'm, I'm a solo artist. I released my first single earlier in the year, Like Wolves, which um, I, uh, I used to raise awareness for domestic violence. And what I'm working on now is an album which uh, incorporates different cultures, indigenous cultures from around the world, their style of music, um, into, 
you know, the way that I write. So it's kind of a marrying of cultures of perspectives and really showing how we can we can coexist in a, in a way through music, which is harmony, you know. And if we can make that happen within the, the confines of music, then surely we can make it happen in the greater reality and the greater sense. Yeah, that's the journey. Nice awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like the way you talk like a little creating a little microcosm for for the world and yeah um how do you bring the instruments in do you play them all yourself or like how does that all come um well i'm i've been very fortunate that i have a like a songwriting partner and we're like brothers his name's jake Lowe, and he writes on the piano and and also does some really amazing you know string arrangements and so usually he'll send me something and then i'll put the melody and lyrics to it and so we get the, the the bones or the foundation of the song and then, you know, we got, we've got written about 25 songs already. But then we'll sit there and go, you know, I'm really hearing an African influence in this or I'm hearing an indigenous Australian influence here or, you know, for me, it might be something from the Amazon or Native American, whatever. You know, what's the, what's the song saying? Where, where's it, where's it taking, taking us? And he's, a, you know, a, a very big meditator as I am. And so we kind of really trying to tune, tune into more than just the, the chords or you know but actually what's what's the theme here what's the what's the energy of this song and from there it guides us to where you know we want to bring that influence in and so recently um we, we wrote a song and uh you know i i heard that there was an Af- definitely a strong african influence and i grew up listening to paul simon in particular his album graceland which had a lot of south african influence and there was a group um, called Ladysmith Black Mambazo who are still touring and, you know, doing their thing. They actually just won a Grammy this year as well. And um, I reached out to them with this song and I said, you know, here's an independent museum from Melbourne. These guys have collaborated with like Michael Jackson and Dolly Parton, all these big names. And I've just sent them the song and said, you know, have a listen if you're interested. We'd love to do something. And um, sure enough, I got the email back saying, we love it. We want to put something down. So that was a big like confirmation of, you know, we're on the right path here and it's a good template for where we want to go with the rest of the album. Um, and, you know, again, serving that greater purpose, bringing, marrying the, the cultures, bringing the, integrating, you know, West with East or however we look at it, you know, in this, in this instance, Africa. So um, I was pretty happy about that. Yeah. Awesome. How long ago was that? This was at the start of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, what's the process? Does it does it go well forward and back to them, and they kind of pretty give much? Some- yeah. I mean, I sent them a track, and they came back with some ideas and put some vocals down. It sounded amazing. Like there's just really rich, you know, voices, the harmonies that they use is just straight from the earth. You know, just oh, hits you, and I'll play it for you guys later. Cool. Um, but. Uh, you know, my, my plan is to, to hopefully get over to South Africa in the next month or two and just tweak what I'm hearing. So kind of work in more of a like a director of like, hey, guys, I'm hearing this. Can you try that? But what they've done already is amazing. But if that doesn't eventuate, then it just be a matter of back and forth, you know, like try this, try that until we've, we've finally got something we're happy with. Yeah. And then obviously, like I said, take that and work with other artists take that formula and work with other artists from different cultures. I've had a, um, a song that I, I was writing with uh, Jake and it was, it was really it's funny how like, things evolve, like, especially with music and art and, and 
just creating and you'd know like when you start a business like things just kind of they are they come to you as they come to you you don't, you don't plan necessarily plan for it like this podcast what we're doing right now you know there's an extension of beyond rest but it's it's organic in it the way that it's come about and it's the same scenario with music so in this instance um jake sent me this lovely piano song and as soon as i heard it, i went oh that's that's a memory you know i'm hearing it's taking me back to something in my childhood and I rang Jake and I said, tell me something about your childhood memory that just when you think about it, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm back there. And Jake grew up in the hills and he said, I remember, you know, um, my father making a kite, you know, with with brown paper bag and we used to fly this thing in the hills. And I was like, oh, that's the song, you know, that's the song right there. So I wrote this chorus and it, it fits nicely, but I couldn't for the life of me come up with anything for the for the verses or the, or the other parts of the song. And so it just sat there. It's been sitting there for maybe six months, eight months. And then uh, recently I was reading a book called The Kite Runner, right, about a set in Afghanistan. And there's actually a, a movie about it as well. Mm. And I'm like, surely I can find – it kind of gave me some ideas to find an Afghani musician or someone based in Melbourne that I could approach to collaborate and I found this guy called Taki Khan, whose story is absolutely amazing. He came here by boat as a refugee um, because his his group, um, I think they're Hazar people, I think they are. And, you know, I don't mean to sound ignorant, but I think that's what they're called. Um, they've been um, oppressed for hundreds of years within Afghanistan to the point where he had to leave. Although he was just going to die, basically. There's no life for him there. So he jumped on a boat, he came here and he sings and he uses his his voice and his story to to basically do what I'm trying to do is connect people, bridge cultures, these kind of things. And so I, I sent him a message and he re- responded. We caught up over coffee in, in Camberwell and uh, he just laid this amazing vocal over the top of it. And it's not even words, but it's just the energy. It's just the the sound of it. And, oh, it's almost like a kite is flying through it, but it's his his story and i and i remember saying to him i'm like do you have any connection to a kite he said kites were like the biggest thing when i grew up and you know to the point where just to get through tuition i made kites and sold them so you know having his energy and essence in the song is like really what it's about you know he doesn't he doesn't have to say words it's just that that energy and that voice that carries the message of what you know the album is trying to achieve yeah yeah amazing yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? Um, yeah, you've definitely gone through a little bit of a journey in terms of the direction that you've gone within your music. Like, what have you found? Like, I guess there's two sides really with you. There's lots of facets to you, as everyone has. Yeah. But you've got this focus where you've gone down kind of an alternative spiritual path. I think we've kind of laughed at about it a few times. So mm. back when we used to play football together and playing with Paul, like I think we had conversations like how many people in the the footy scene have actually gone down, you know, an alternative kind of metaphysical approach, Mm. spiritual, whatever you want to call it, there Mm. hasn't been too many. But what was it for you? Mm. Because obviously you've had the pull towards being a musician while you're completely, you know, not completely unawake, but your mum was a healer, so you kind of had that influence as well. Yeah, I think it was something that was just – always stirring in the subconscious there it was just there and I just I wasn't really aware of it and even when I was aware of music there it was not in a way that was really aligning to what my purpose what I believe my purpose is here you know and and that's to use music and the gift that I've been given to 
to bring people together and make this world a better place. And so for me, I think one of the, you know, the, as I said, the first step was finishing uni and not being able to, well, quitting footy and just going, okay, what, what do I want to do? And even though it was a distorted kind of sense of how music works and, in the, you know, as we've discussed, like trying to be a rock star, it put me on that path of music. Okay, okay. I think the things when it sort of changed and evolved into being something much more greater than me, um, there were a few things. One was the, I guess, the um, death of my stepfather who, you know, who grew up and he raised me and he committed suicide in 2009. And so from there, kind of, I realized the fragility of life and just went, shit, all right, I'm, I'm sort of going to get on with this. You know, it's right to have a dream, but let's put it into practice. And, um, and that's when I got the band together and just started playing gigs and didn't really know where it was going, but just started the process. So that kind of built that, um, you know, cultivated that kind of willingness to step into music a lot quicker than probably would have if he hadn't died. But then I think what happened is, you know, being in that band scenario is that I, I understood as I was going through my own journey of healing and, and self-growth and development that a lot of the members within the band were probably, you know, not not mean to sound in a, in a, a bad way, but we were just, we weren't on the same page. You know, where I was wanting to take music was not where they were. They were just happy to be in a band and play and hopefully get on top 40 radio. And as I was growing, it was like, it wasn't about that anymore. It was about bringing people together, healing, you know, myself, healing others, making the world a better place, these kind of themes. And so there was a, there was a natural disconnect that happened. Um, and, you know, and it was just one of those decisions that it got to a point where I was like, you know, I was kind of doing everything in the band anyway and thought, I think I could do this solo, you know. But I didn't have the – I had the courage to step away, but there was a period there where I didn't have the courage to actually step into being a solo artist for a while. I wasn't sure whether music was even what I wanted to do in that period of real darkness. I was like, fuck, you know, um, maybe music isn't the path. You know, I had a lot of self-doubt and, um, you know, I wasn't sure whether I was going to be able to to use music as that vehicle. Um, you know, it was a lot of like, oh, well – I don't have those guys around me anymore. Like I'm going to have to write my own songs, which I mean I can do, but there was just a, a lot of se- lack of self-confidence that I could actually do it. And what turned what turned that was um, an actual, I did an ayahuasca ceremony. And at that point I, I'd already done a few, you know, it's, for me it was something I was intrigued about because being born in Brazil and, you know, my mum being born in the Amazon and there was a connection to to those things in, in general and so I decided that I'd, I'd go down that path a few times and surely enough when I'd quit the band I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit in a ceremony here and just ask for some insight and uh, it was during that process where you know I started doubting or those doubts surfaced about whether I could pursue music as a solo artist and I got the very clear message that no you can, you can do it you've got to believe in yourself. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know what song I'm going to do. And they were like, just follow the wolf, you know, and that's why I released the first single this year, Like Wolves. 
But it was interesting because as you know, for those of you that are listening and if you've done experience ceremony or ayahuasca, it's very introspective and it makes you, you know, question a lot of your thoughts, a lot of your beliefs. And, um, you know, that belief of self-doubt, of not having the ability to actually go out there and be a solo artist was just right at the surface. I had to confront it. And it was interesting because once I did and I thought, no, I can do this, I literally woke up out of like open my eyes and um, a person who was facilitating the ceremony was standing in front of me with a guitar and they're like, you have to play for the, for the group. And in my head, I was initially like, oh, fuck. Like, I want to be in charge of everyone's journey here. And then I was like, hang on a sec, this is like my first solo gig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when this you talk my- about journey, just just a little bit of insight for, for people listening. When you talk about journey, what do you mean in terms of… Well, everyone's got their, like I said, with with ayahuasca, they're, they're in their own um, subconscious. They're, they're, they're all introspective, you know, so… The music that you play in that environment is going to permeate into into whatever they're experiencing. Mm. So, you know, if I'm going to play like Slayer or Metallica or something heavy, it could like take them to like… <laughs> Bad trip. Yeah, yeah. You know, the deep darkness of hell, you know. And, um, and so, knowing, having that knowledge and, and being presented with a guitar, initially I was like, oh, fuck, like what, what am I even going to play? You know, it's, 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 I have to really think about this. So once I overcame that and it happened pretty quickly, I was like, hang on a second, no, this is it. I've just experienced this within myself, like this self-doubt. I've overcome it and now I'm being presented with an opportunity to, to make it a reality. And what better scenario? Because the music is going to infiltrate whatever these people are going through. And so, you know, it really required me to just sit there with a the guitar, tune into the room, and I played one of my songs that I'd written um, and, and a few others. But, you know, I, I had the confirmation after the ceremony. A lot of people came up to me and they were like, your song really helped me. You know, I was stuck in this perspective and it allowed me to, to come through it. And I was like, whoa. And it was there that I realized, you know, that the words and the, and the music, they have the power to, to really get to the core. It's not just about entertaining and being top one on the radio or, you know, it's, it's more about getting into the energy and, and the core of what people are experiencing because really what you're doing is something intangible, you know, so you can't put a price on it. It's something that exists and if you can learn to channel that for, for greater good, then you're going to be able to change the world, you know, because that's how you change the world, by changing perspectives. So... Um, and that's that's where it kind of ventured into where I'm at now. Yeah, I th- I'd say that was one of the big turning points. Yeah. Now, I, I love everything you just said, but yeah. from a devil's advocate point of view, yeah. and you know, I'm on the same page with stuff. Yeah. Um, say I'm someone sitting here, and I'm saying, "Well, what are you talking about? Yeah. Tuning into someone else or their energy, like yeah. infiltrating this or that. Like yeah. you're singing a song, people like it or don't like it." Mm-hmm. It's nothing more than that. Yeah. Because there are people out there that believe that, you know. Yeah. They, they hear people talk about tuning in and, you know, these types of terms. Mm. But for a lot of people, that's nonsense. Yeah. So, mm. give us some insight into how that 
how do you tune in? Like, well, how do you sense a mood of a room? Yeah. You know, if it is a real thing, even well, though I, I can't Well, I think this is the thing what I've found is that most people that say that aren't actually in tune with themselves. It's very difficult for you to tune externally if you aren't in tune internally. And this is why, you know, a lot of the time I'll ask them, do you meditate or do you float um, or, or anything? Do you, what, what practices are you putting in place to understand yourself better? Um, but, you know, we know from a young age, even as, as we're kids, we know there's, you know, certain, and, and even as adults, you know, like certain people, like if, if you get someone into your personal space, there's an uncomfortableness that exists, you know, that's, and it's unspoken, but you just know, oh, that's a bit too close for me. Well, that's, that's tuning in. That's you, your body or your own soul saying that's, I'm not comfortable there for one reason or another. It might require investigation. It might just be that that's the way it is. And I think music is the same. You know, we can hear when we have a nice, beautiful floating melody, it makes us feel a certain way. You know, it, uh, likewise, if we're listening to Metallica or Slayer and we're going to the gym, we're going we're gonna to behave a certain way as well. Um, and so, and also, if we, if we keep the music analogy, if things are out of sync or there's a discord, you know, if a drummer's playing one thing and the guitarist is doing another and they're not working together, it's going to create a feeling when they say, oh, that doesn't sound right. Well, it doesn't feel right either. So really, it's, it's, it's being aware of those unspoken um, languages, really, and that's what music is, it's, and that's why it's universal because you don't have to understand it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't require a... a um, you know, a knowledge of music to, to be moved by it. It doesn't require a knowledge of someone singing in a different language for you to be moved, moved by that person's voice. It's an energy, it's a feeling. And once you realize that, the power of it, you know, and I mean, we see it with advertising, you know, how they use music and jingles to infiltrate the subconscious, you know. Always Coca-Cola. We all know it. We grew up with it. So... I mean, that's used in one context, but we can also use it for good. So, tuning in is about understanding that relationship between your own internal self and your external environment. Yeah. Well, I guess biologically, we're all made up of water. And yeah. So, from a frequency point of view that, you know, sound naturally, we respond to sound from that point of view as well. Yeah. And it's funny when you, when you think about it, and, you know, like… And, uh, you know, I've done a bit of work with people with trauma and, you know, sounds that can like, tr you know, trigger post-traumatic stress, you know, just like a banging, you know, it takes them back to whatever, Vietnam, you know, or um, maybe they had an abusive parent that was loud and so, you know, that, that, that energy, you know, carries and, and a lot of people that, as you said, Paul, like they don't understand that, it, I usually say, well, what do you not understand? Like, is it, what are you doing for yourself? Like, if you have that internal awareness, then the external opens up. You know, the more the more doors we have closed, the more closed off we are to what's going on out here in the, in the external environment. So it really requires that that willingness to go in, open those doors, because that's where the we start connecting more deeply with one another. You know, it's not just surface stuff anymore. We're tuning into one another's feelings tuning into one another's perspectives um, and and I guess from, as you said, like from that 
from that standing point, then you know we can all grow, we can all advance consciously, and therefore collectively. So, I think what you said, I can relate to what you're saying. When things are flowing with someone, and you're in a certain, just it just feels good. Mm. You know, things just there's an effortlessness to it. Um, but it's not always the case, you know, sometimes someone's going through some stuff and they're relating from a certain place and another person might be in a great place. So how do those two things, you know, you, you as well, Nick, you know, like we're not always relating from a place where we're in tune with each other. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, is it, is it something where how do we resolve that or is it you know can we resolve it or do we just be ourselves and deal with what's in front of us how does how do you kind of drop into that place with someone where you know that the connections from a really resourceful kind of mm. deep place from a true kind of connected place well for me it's um for me personally i can go into cuz i've got a bit of an alpha male background i've still got a lot of alpha male within me there's no we doubt all, we all do eh yeah well, we all, i definitely do yeah there's yeah. definitely a lot there that i kind of connect to and and for me it's actually going in with my agenda and i think within the business itself within beyond rest and just talking to a lot of people i've had to learn and grow a lot to like just rather come in with my 25 points and just sledgehammer people when they're just cruising and chilling in the float space <laughs> with all the things that need to happen to actually learning to um, let go of kind of everything you need to do within the world and kind of create like a little world. This is what I do personally for myself is kind of create a world, you know, within myself and this other person because essentially love is just two things connecting and combining. You know, if we want to look at what is love, love is, you know, two things kind of merging and combining together and the only way you can kind of combine and merge with something else is if you're actually there you're still you've got all these things that you need to do we've all got things that we need to do in this world we're constantly bombarded by everything from every angle possible and actually just kind of creating a world just you and that person and like you're creating a bubble and all the things to do are just floating all of a sudden this list that's in front of your head just goes outside of this bubble and you're just there with this person with all these things outside, like then they just kind of become muffled and then outside, then you're just there with that person just, you know, for yourself, just beginning to feel yourself and then trying to feel into the other person. And I think for me, that's kind of helped connect a little bit better from when people actually felt no connection from me. And, you know, I know within my personal relationship to my work relationships to just about everywhere, that's helped to actually just slow down and actually mm. get rid of all the to-do lists and all the things that you need to get done and then create that little bubble with you and that other person just in that moment, you know, that that person's the only thing important. You know, the only you're, you and that person, that connection is the only thing, you know, that ever exists. Mm. And then you can kind of merge together and that in, in essence is, is love but biologically or scientifically. It's just we're just two kind of mm. atoms just kind of melding together um, from that point of view. So I think that, yeah, that's been a big thing for myself personally, learning to connect with other people better, being, you know, somebody completely lost in work and to do and, you know, alpha maleism and you know all of that and yeah well, you have a sorry you have a very like strong um 
like business background, right, Nick? Like in terms of like being able to start something from from scratch, build it up, make some money, you know. Um, and and in that world, I guess is what you're saying is a very alpha driven as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was always ego. So my my background similar to you, mine was just about just going out there and make trying to make millions and dominate and sleep with lots of women and, you know, all of that type of thing. So that was kind of my driver, you know, as a background. So I think that generally I think everything in my life up until I was probably thirty was just female dependent on, you know, it was just <laughs> driven by trying to, you know, sleep with if I look at every decision I made. You yeah. know, so I only started playing football when I was 17, 18 because I realized that girls like football. <laughs> when I went to Perth, well, I was like, oh, P- Perth girls like guys that play footy. I better start playing. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that was the only reason I played. Wow. Had zero interest beforehand because wow. my dad played for Richmond back in the day, mm. um, born and raised in Melbourne. And, yeah, I think I just saw with him personally how angry he was post-footy career. I think, Paul, you could probably talk a bit on that. Um with yeah his AFL career yeah and just or VFL whatever it was back then VFL and and for him I could just see he was angry you know because he was a guy that just started playing really well at 23 or something he had one year off because he had the Korean War then he had one year off because of uni and he started playing really well and then did his name say la vie you know and then that was that for him for his career and he's pissed off to this day and mm. I think I never quite worked it out until I was older so. Yeah, so I think that that kind of connection there, you know, may be kind of disconnected from footy. But going back to my point of just what where I was led by was just females and that mm. was it. Like I think, <laughs> you mm. know, I had no other direction apart from that and then making money came from that and, you know, everything came around just sleeping with more women and mm. you know, completely disconnected to, you know, now I think about some of the things, you know, the way that I kind of, I was always open and honest. So one thing I had, I was always open and honest. Girls knew where they stood with me. They mm. knew I was not boyfriend material, <laughs> you know, at that stage. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't shy and basically, you know, letting them know. But at the same time, you look at the way that you kind of did things. You like, did oh, it in a way that was I still – I, yeah. I couldn't do it, you know. Like I, I think back and kind of like the way I was like, wow, she's like a human being, mm. you know, in the way that you kind of, yeah, go through that kind of world and try and, you know – um, you know, manipulate in every possible way. There's no two ways about it. You know, there's all those books, the game, and etc. <sighs> like that. They're all. Well, when that came out, that was like I don't know if you read it, but that was it, wasn't it? The game. This is how you do it. Yeah, it's all, all the manipulation. Way yeah, yeah. And that's and that's essentially what it was. It was just like I knew every little trick in the book to a little thumb wrestle at the bar. Yeah. To you know playing computer, you know psychological yeah. games to make them feel that as if you're like a little kid. Anyways, all these kind of silly things. Yeah. And, I, you know, relied on my stature as well, a little bit as well, you know, from that point of view. But yeah, I was just driven by that. And then within business, I was always driven to just make money. And then, um, yeah, and I think life just smashed me around personally because there was no purpose. Mm. And I think ultimately, if there's no purpose, hence the the theme of this, sh- this podcast is just reconnecting to what's important and what you value. Mm. And I followed what society wanted me to do mm. as opposed to like I was just a creation of pop culture and growing up going okay well like sleeping lots of chicks is the way to go and wherever i heard it at some point it just ingrained within me and um yeah and then the match made in heaven for being a alpha male mm-hmm. and then i just every decision i made business and footy and all that so much that so i like walked away from afl opportunities as well just because i was like no that's going to make me sleep with less women and that's the way i thought at that stage where a lot of people would have argued 
definitely the opposite, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and for me at that stage, it wasn't because I was making money and doing what I wanted to do and I didn't want to be told what to do. So for me, it sounded terrible, wow. you know, because it wasn't a dream of mine, you know. Yeah. Um, to, do, to do that and plus having a dad, having a dad that basically I saw, I don't want to be like that. Mm. And so, yeah, anyways, so, so I just purpose of all these kind of crazy things that kind of happen is just that there's no purpose and with no purpose um you know i, I think that's where beyond rest came around and the the flotation business and that i just couldn't stop thinking about it you know um for for years before we even opened mm. um so yeah and i think that in, that in line and just the essence of this podcast is just trying to highlight people like yourself gab yeah um you know and yourself paul hosting it is um you know people that have completely kind of gone away from what society wants you to do and actually begin to do what's important to you because I think what's really important to actually talk about with you, Gab, um, especially is that you've had a nine-to-five job pretty mm. much, mm. you know, while you've been down this kind of career yeah. chasing music. So, like, how, have you, gets very how have you balanced it's that? It's very difficult, you know. It is, like, um, because part of me is, like, you know, I could just go back and, just finish like doing postgrad in psychology and wear a suit and have a nice job with good money and be fine. <laughs> but the energy or the music is is the calling. And so for me, I always try and find a job where I don't have to think too much. There's not much creative energy required of me. I'm not trying to really, you know, put myself too much in, in other people's space. If I was to be a psychologist, that would be, you know, would be what would be required of me. And so along the way, I've always chosen like a warehouse job where I just go there, I do what I need to be do done. At the end of the day, I'll go home. I've got no attachment to it. I'm not worrying about whether someone's going to be committing suicide or doing this or doing that. I go home and then I can focus all my energy, all my creativity towards my music. And so, yeah, it's, it's tough. And a lot of artists, especially this day and age, um, that is the way they, they do it. They have, they have to um, because, you know, it's not gone in the days in, you know, 90s, 80s where an artist could, you know, release an album on CD and make like shitloads of money. Everything's online now. Everything's available. Everything's streamed. So you've got to be a bit more resourceful and clever in how you, you – you make your money and I'm still in the early phases of developing that. It's not by no means am I, you know, um, living off my music, but the purpose is very clear. And so the means to get to it are just the means, you know, I'm not stuck in the perspective of, and it, can, it can be sometimes I'll have days I'm like, fuck, I could just be doing this because I have friends and, you know, people that are, to the to the person looking from out looking in or you know oh they've got their house they got this going on but that's just that that conditioning you know that you talk about it's a societal thing and when, when i can remove myself from that and i'll have those thoughts creep up every now and then but then i realize well hang on what i'm actually doing is 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 purpose it's it's greater and I'm not worried about those things. You know, I don't drive a fancy car. I don't care. You know, for me, it's about getting the best out of myself, whether it's, um, you know, trying to be a better musician, but just trying to be a better person. 
changing someone's life. And um, so, yeah, there's challenges. Like I said, with that, I'm working a nine-to-five job, as you would call it. But the music always takes priority and it's never never not. So I can always just step away when I need to. I don't, I'm not attached to any of my jobs. It's just something that's there to serve the greater good. Yeah, yeah I think talk a little bit about nine to five. I personally think I don't have anything against nine to five. I think um, it's good at some point to work a normal job just to kind of have a context oh, and yeah. to maybe sometimes understand, well, if I was to live out 50 years of this, is, is that what I want to do? Mm. Um, so it gives you a context. Um, you also might love your nine to five job. Well, I agree. Yes. I mean, it's a, like Nick was saying, it comes down to purpose. 100%. If your purpose lies within that nine to five job, then good on you. I think, you know? yeah, I think the reconnect or like the, re- the crux of our kind of reconnect message sometimes is going to strike a chord or hopefully strikes a chord with someone who is in a nine to five job that they absolutely hate, mm. that they resent. They don't like their boss. They yeah. don't have something going on outside of ours that gives them a spark and they just feel stuck. Mm. Um, and I think that really is – that is a disconnection because everything suffers mm. when you resent the way that the hours that you spent in your day mm. and you don't have anything that's giving you a sense of, Nick would say, purpose, then – it can be a spiral and then other activities or other thoughts or other behaviours can come in that create a momentum and it seems to kind of can really drag you under. Um, and I think at some point… What's your experience been like with nine to five? What were you doing? Yeah, I've, had, I've, I've done nine to five. Yeah. Um, I didn't get drafted straight out of school. Mm. Um, I, I think after, a month after I finished high school, I was a bicycle courier. That was my first job. Uh, my dad calves was, for that. I, mate, yeah. my calves got massive <laughs> after that. They never went back. I'm still trying to get my calves back to, you know. He's got to save his calves. He's going to tell you. So, yeah, um, bike courier. I uh, was a mortgage broker for a year for my dad before I got drafted. Um, and then post-footy, I travelled and played some waffle footy, but then I ran out of money. So, mm. I got back into mortgage broking and worked – more than nine to five, I was working after hours, you know, it was evenings. Mm. Um, and I did that for three or four years. So, and for me, that was ma- a huge learning process because I, when I finished footy, I thought it would always be a cop out if I got into finance because every other member of my family mm. is in finance. And I kind of had this, um, probably sort of put myself above people and thought, well, if I just go back into finance, I'm not really being true to myself. Um, but I made some decisions that necessitated that I get my act together and make some money. And um, I was given that opportunity by family and then by a close mate to get back into finance and get back on my feet. And I learned so much about that job because I can't stay in a job and just rot away. Like I, I have a capacity and I think it's one of my strengths to find a way to like something and just graft out a sense of fulfillment from what I'm doing. And that's what I did. I built built some really close friendships with my clients um, that I helped get mortgages and found a way to kind of get myself back on my feet because um, I had a, I had a son and I, you know, I needed to make sure that I, I provided and, and did the right thing for myself and for others involved. Um, but yeah, I found a way to enjoy that and I still am doing a little bit of that. So um, 
I kind of lost where that was going, but I think it was just come to coming back to nine to five that it, we're definitely not sitting here bashing nine to five because I think if you love your nine to five, awesome. Yeah. But there's people that are stuck in it and they don't see yeah. a way out of it. I think you've got a really good message there for um, you know people working nine to five because I'm a nine to fiver, essentially. You know, running running beyond rest and you know a few other things, but for the most part, is just what you said, grafting a way to, to find some meaning within that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would probably look at where they're at and I think anyone, if you ask them, saying, would you, if you didn't get paid, would you work this job? And I think, I don't know, I'd, I'd probably say a fair majority of people would probably say no. Um, but looking at where people are and the reality of it, I think, Gab, you've got something interesting to say, so I'll come to you in a second on it. But with Paul, you're talking about grafting and finding meaning within that. Like how how could you help someone find meaning? What what well, ways could they look to find meaning? Yeah. Gab, there you go. You go. There you go. No, I was just reminded when you talk about meaning. I don't know if you guys have read um, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, a book by Victor, Victor Frankl. Frankl. Right. Well, I haven't read it, but I was only looking it up a couple Mate, of weeks check ago. Check it out. And so yeah. obviously his story was he was part of you know, a Jew in the concentration camp and he survived and, you know, those dire circumstances while others around him were, were dying and, and um, you know, his message was when you can find out the why to your existence as the meaning to your existence, then you can deal with almost any, anything, anyhow. You, know, you can figure a way. And, um, and so you're right, having that, finding the meaning within something, if, 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 that's, a, if that's something that you hold strongly – then you, you're going to be able to deal with all the knockbacks, all the rejections, all the shit that gets thrown at you because the thing that's driving you is much greater than you know, what, where you're at, you know, what's happening for you in that moment. So, yeah, just, just to elaborate mm. on what we're saying. For sure. And it's, it's not to say that it's not one or the other. It's not that you're finding meaning every day mm. or you're stuck and you hate it. Yeah. Like it's, they both exist throughout your day. I think it's yeah. just what um, I, you know, I still struggle daily, you know, daily for a spark. I said that, you know, during the last podcast and uh, I sometimes spend a couple of days where mm. you're just really down. You kind of, um, I think an area where I felt growth in myself is that when I'd find myself in a place where I'm struggling to find a sense of purpose or meaning, mm there'd be like a sort of a sense of like other parts of my life would drop away. I wouldn't necessarily exercise or I kind of just get a bit lazy and the tone of it would be really a downer thing. Whereas now I can still struggle or feel like a real futility with what I'm doing day to day, but I don't kind of drop the bundle. I still perform what I need to do at a, you know, probably as high a level as I have. Um, but there's still that feeling of, you know, now, what's going on here? Mm. I feel, you know what I mean? Just yeah, kind of yeah, something's yeah. missing a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's been a really interesting few years for me because I, I always had this sense that you have to be doing 100% what's in your heart or what you really want to do or you're not being true to yourself. Mm. And for me, I've learned that being true to yourself can take so many different forms. Well, there's so many different parts of ourselves. Yeah. So, you can be true to yourself in a number of different ways, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, not necessarily just the, the thing that's going to make you money is going to be the, the thing that you're, you know, it could, like I said, it could be just going to the gym, you know, that's being true to yourself, isn't it? It's like, well, 
doing yoga or meditating or floating. You know, there's so many different parts, facets of of the human being. Reconnecting to your musician. Yeah, exactly. So you're working your nine to five during the week, but yeah. then you know reconnecting to that that, that so part important. of you that love playing music that you yeah. stopped. You know exactly. Yeah, I want to ask you a question about that, Gab. Um, Nick mentioned that. Well, you mentioned that when you stopped being in the band and you were in a little bit of a twilight zone between finishing the band and then mm. going out on your own, mm. um, I personally think there's so much creativity in the in-between phases of your life. Oh, I don't yeah. think that's something to be glossed over. I think um, the parts where you do kind of fall into a bit of a hole mm. um, might last weeks, days, weeks, months, years. I think they're really important in the overall context of things. So... When you were in between, you weren't like music's your expression. Mm-hmm. When you weren't in the band anymore mm-hmm. and you hadn't gone solo, how did you spend your time? Like talk us through those days and think now. Like it's like, you know, probably like four years ago now. But it was a it was a challenging time because i what I actually did is I when I I'd I'd quit the band. I then quit my nine to five job. Um and then I broke up with my girlfriend. So all these three constants in my life were just through nothing but my own decision, gone, no longer there. And so all I was left with was me. And, and so it was, it was challenging, you know, I was really had to go in and figure out what was important to me. Um, and how I filled up that time was I, I made it like a priority that I was going to do. I really spend time on, myself like self-development you know um i was reading a lot of books i was meditating i was getting back to like you know football type fitness where i could run forever and and with the music i just thought well i'm just going to start playing gigs covers gigs i'm just going to start playing learning other people's songs and just playing gigs to get by acoustic gigs um not knowing where the music was going to take me but just thought if i just keep playing It'll, it'll eventuate. And it, look, it really helped me. And I still play the odd cover gig here and there um, because it's an opportunity just to be out there, make some money, connect with people, all of the above. Um, so, and as you said, like those moments where you're, 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 you're in that feeling of uncertainty and in the depths of not knowing what's to come and it does help in the greater context because like you said, it, it, it gave me material to, to work on. The deeper you go into that, the deeper you can go in with your music, with your lyrics, the deeper you can then connect with others. You know, it opens that door for, for much more uh, authentic and honest conversation as, as we're having today. And I think back, like, and this is one of the things I always say to Nick, like, you know, the level that we used to connect with in football terms compared to what we connect now is like the different worlds, you know, but that's only because we've chosen to go into those parts of ourselves individually in our own time. However, when we reconnect, the connection is something much greater than what it was mm. and much more honest and authentic. And so those moments that you talk about, Paul, those moments where you, you're kind of in yourself, like they're important because they allow for that reconnection to take place down the track with others, with yourself, with 
music with whatever it is that that you know inspires you. Yeah, I want to ask you more about yours because I I know you had some you had some really dark times or really tough times in yourself financially after you came back from India. I don't I don't really know that story and I don't know how much you want to go into it, but um, can you talk us through the breakdown of that former business and then the in-between period before you came up with Beyond Rest because that would have been a tough time for you? Yeah, I think it's um, – yeah, I think it was a fairly tough thing but it was also quite liberating for me actually because I built up such a character and such a persona around this guy that's – you know, that leads the way, that gets all these women, that does really well with business, that he's a great partier, you know, good hair, you know, so, you know, good body, you know, like, good looking bloke, you know, like, um, you know, Mate, but that's, but that's, you know, that's, that, that was kind of good like, hair, I've just built it. this kind of like, you know, this guy just, yeah, I built this character. What hair gel did you use back in the day? The hair gel. With American crew? I think it might have been. Yeah. I think it might have been American crew with a bit of bit of spikiness, you know, <laughs> a bit of love luster. Um, but yeah, but f- for the most part, I think I'd built that character up so much. And and for me coming back, like, you know, and for people not even recognizing me because I was skinny, I lost like 15 kilos of muscle. Um, I had a shaved head, so like I looked like a patient. Um, I was catching the bus, going from the sports cars to the bus, you know, so – yeah, around the place and I think for me it was kind of like, oh, I could like finally relax. So in a weird way, <laughs> that wasn't actually the toughest. I think being in India and working over there was tough, you know, in a business that was essentially collapsing. You know, I had a business that was a, like a, an internet marketing, you know, virtual assistant style kind of program, which we worked with some pretty influential people that, you know, that are really well known now um, in the various different fields like Tim Ferriss to this, mm. um, to um, this guy Russell Brunson to who's now really well known within his marketing field. But anyways, a few kind of people that, you know, but yeah, it, it ultimately fell apart because there was no purpose behind it. It was just let's make a billion bucks and let's go to India and we'll do it like this and this will be the stepping stone for us to then do this and that and there was no – no values, no vision, <laughs> you know, there's just no heart behind it whatsoever. And so for me, then coming back as this patient, you know, and then people kind of not recognize like all the things that I feared massively, you know, four or five years before that I left to go overseas and then came back and just all that was gone, you know, like in terms of all these things I particularly worried about keeping meticulously perfect. And I think society in general, and I've got a lot of mates, I kind of observe it now because now the care factor through years and years and years of floating. And for me, floating was a big part of it. I, I began floating and yeah, for me, lots of introspection within that period of just going, oh, where I'm at. And I had a breakup and I think that was, you know, fairly tough. I, didn't, I think looking back, I really pushed the emotions down. I was really good at just like creating a, a a cement chest kind of thing. I think a, the typical Australian male is very guilty of just like whatever. I'll just, you know. Push through. Push through. You have a breakup. You drink lots of piss and do lots of running and you'll be right, yeah, you know, like yeah. and you'll get through it and just, just charge through it. So and I think I always ha- kind of had that and then the floating just actually allowed me to go, shit, this is who I am and this way and that introspection connecting to my intuition 
And then from there, just stopped being such an aggro, crazy bastard really mm. that I was at about um, and then disconnecting from this identity that I kind of held so closely to myself. So, yeah, and I think in those times, yeah, there were there were dark times and I think there were always – I think I had darker times before that when I was a drug addict, you know, many years before that. And I think locking myself in a house and having that introspection or just dealing, getting off the habit of just constantly wanting to speed nice, you know, I think that helped as well. So, yeah, there's been different different things, but I think the introspection of actually changing and going in a direction to live in a more connected life to kind of what I see, what I value, and I think that's, you know, and floating was a big part of that, then meditation and yoga. And mm. I mean, when I first heard about meditation and yoga, I was like, what's the point of that? Why would you just go sit in a hill? Like, there's useless. Like, you go sit in a hill <laughs> by yourself in nature, like, yeah. they're completely useless to society. Get rid of them. You know, and that was a mindset then of just like that whole, not that there was much of a movement 10 years ago on that or, you know, when I first started dabbling around this kind of stuff and yeah, so I think I think it's interesting what you're saying, I'm just reflecting that I think it was kind of a relief to let go of that identity that I kind of built for myself for so long. I've got a question for both you guys now and, you know, obviously both and myself included have come through the ranks of football where it is very ego-driven and alpha male dominated and, uh, you know, one way or another, you've both found, you know, more about who you are as people, what, what, like I said, shedding this character, it's almost like this character assassination of, of yourself, uh, letting go of that part of you that really wasn't aligning to what was, what was served, like asking of you really. Um, how do you find then reconnecting to people in that world that you've left that are still pretty much in that phase of their existence, you know, whether it be friends or contacts, whatever? I think they run away from you because I've got a mate just down here, just in Paran here, a few 400 meters. We were best friends in Mel in, in Perth and we happen to live a few hundred meters away from each other here and you know, I've, I see him maybe once every couple of months. And I'm, he's like a couple of hundred meters down from my dorm, best mate for for 15, 15 plus years, and just what do you find when you when you talk? It's just not. I find, I find, yeah. So going to that, I find that they don't really want anything to do with you. Mm. And I think, I think people seeing you change. I think in the, there's a way where I can kind of see he's um, like proud. Like in a way, like you know, he goes, oh, it's a good thing kind of what you've done, but they have zero interest. They don't want to be around you because it just brings up things within themselves that they've seen how much you've changed. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's something, yeah, there's something to that in terms of connecting, even my family, like, mm. you know, my parents and stuff like that. That, that My dad finds it weird, <laughs> yeah. you know, like kind of just kind of dealing with you because they're like, oh, what's next? You're not eating meat now. You're not doing this, you know. <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, what's yeah. next? You yeah. know, bloody hell, you know. So, yeah, yeah I find it, it – it's quite interesting. I have no problem but I just find the urge to not really – I just don't care. Mm. And I think the more that you get aligned to kind of what's important to you, the less you start giving a stuff <laughs> about kind of what others – you know, I find that I'm more caring and I do more empathetic – 
empathy, more compassion, empathetic is actually feeling mm. hurt for someone. Compassion mm. is doing something about it. So, you know, I find I'm, I'm more compassionate towards people than I was before, but at the same time, I don't give a stuff. Like what people think, yeah. What people think as, mm. um, as much. So I find that there's a, there's a funny thing. As you change, yeah, you're going to move away from people, but it doesn't mean you don't love them and mm. they're still connected and they're still, you know. The different ha- it's it's nice to connection. have moments for a couple of minutes with them and then after that, it's, I can't be bothered with it anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I reckon you'd, sometimes it's not forever. You might just, you, you might not have a connection. It might last a couple of years, but then all of a sudden, it's there again. Um, I reckon it's, it's an awesome question. I reckon it's a lot of, I think a lot of, for want of a better term, spiritual people would go through it. Um, and what I mean by spiritual is that when you're living your life till a certain age and then something else wakes up in you and you kind of really change course in a way, you start reading certain things, you start doing other things like yoga or meditation. Um, in my life, what happened is I got because of my personality, I tend to throw the kitchen sink at everything. And it was just the same with when I found out about meditation and spirituality. I read a hundred books, spent so much of my time meditating, thinking about, you know, these type of things. But then I wanted to force it down everyone's throat that was within arm's reach. So all of a sudden, I'm nothing wrong with this every now and again, but I'm mailing my dad books home. You know, I'm, I'm sending, you know, just wanting to, you you naturally want to share certain things that insights that you feel have made a big difference mm. to you. Mm. And so it was a bit of a painful process for 18 yeah. months, probably for some friends too, because that was just something that was touching me. And all of a sudden I'm always wanting to kind of find a way to introduce this concept or you know, talk about this book and it's just not, it's not always, you know what I mean? Like mm. I forced it too much. So I came away at certain points that oh, and then I kind of, there was a sort of a strange thing. Well, I'm just going on a different path. I'm kind of a little bit better than them. They're not mm. ready for this. Where our paths aren't going to merge anymore. And then as I started to mature and the information and the insight that I have became a bit more normalized, I wasn't just trying to be different. Um, things just naturally weave back together. You realize that there's going to be some mates that you talk about deep stuff with and there's going to be some mates that you talk about complete dung with. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's the interaction that is important. If you still love that person and there's enough that flows between you, yeah. it doesn't really matter what you're talking about. You yeah. can be taught. I have, I feel some of the strongest sense of love and connection from my friends back home. Mm. We haven't talked about anything mildly spiritual for a you know, 10 years. Yeah. We talk about crap. We talk about old <laughs> yeah. footy memories. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not saying that you can't have awesome, beautiful, deep conversations, mm. but they'll happen with the right people. I you don't, agree, you, yeah. you, you know, you don't have to force it. You can still pass the time with, with friends and, and share love and feel love without talking about spiritual you things. You have to find, you're right. You have to find that entry point for love. You know, it's not always in those conversations and that. And I've found as well, like, being on the journey that those friends they will they, they, they will, some of them will just start opening up about things and you're like fuck I'm having a conversation with this guy about something that I never thought I'd be having a conversation about 
and they start on their journey. You just start, you know, dropping a little thing here and there. And that's when you can go, oh, maybe read this book, you know. But there is, and it's something you touched on. There is this, and I've been through it as well. I'm sure probably you have as well, Nick. There's like this, the ego can still creep its way through the context of spirituality, you know, where, oh, I'm on this path and I'm better than you. Big you time. Know, big time. And you've got to check yourself, you know. And, you know, even in the context where I work, you know, in the warehouse and I, I – most guys I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. Know, I'm not I'm not walking into a, a, a warehouse and guys are going, "Hey, mate, you going? You been fucking cleansing your chakra today, or what?" <laughs> you know, I don't I don't get any of that, right? Um, but you can still find like there's those little conversations that just start creeping up, and you start realizing, "Oh, well, that guy's got a bit of that. I can maybe go there with him, but I couldn't go there with that guy." Um, and that's where those connections form. There's always an entry point for it, you know. But like you said, if you hold that space of love and this is a human being here, like that's it's always going to be the thing that um, you know creates that sense of connection, mm. togetherness, which is which you're better off doing than like I said that egoic kind of. No, fuck, I'm not on my level. I'm not talking to you. Go cleanse your fucking chakra, mate. You know. It's a slippery slope and yeah, just like you, Paul, I rammed it down a couple of interesting characters' throats as well and they were just too hardened and too yeah. down their kind of particular path and it's like that's fine. Yeah. And I look at their life now and I'm like that's cool. It's yeah. their path, you know. Maybe they'll turn or maybe they'll, you know, towards a direction that's aligned to their own values or maybe they just stay in that bubble and so be it. That's their path. We don't know everything, you know, the higher perspective of life and all the the eons of existence and all that. If we want to get into all that kind of jazz, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe they're just in that bubble and that's cool. And, that's if, and if they've got a, if they've got that ability to make people laugh, perhaps that's their yeah. purpose. And they're just that Aussie larrikin, you know, that can make everyone laugh over a few beers. That there could be something. You know, Off, yeah. There is something really, you know, probably meaningful for their existence. And you know, that's a skill set they've got. So one thing I learned is stop trying to stop change your people because yeah, they changing, get because. Yeah. They hate you for they don't hate you so they dislike you a lot, you know, for trying to for trying to ram your way down it. So I think it's a, a general kind of process that people go in and as they begin to kind of awaken, you know, um, and, and or get more, you know, interested in alternative kind of lifestyle that, um, you know, they want to ram it down people's throats and it's mm. not really. You just got to do your thing and like Gandhi always said, be the change. You want to see, yeah, you know, and. Yeah, the rest will follow. So. Yeah, I just think it's um, spiritual people come in all different shapes, and people are so different. Mm. Um, I've, I've again, some of my friends or some people I know would never have read a spiritual book or meditated, but they are the most. It's about the way you feel when you're with them. It's not about what they're talking about. They might. Um, I had some clients, some you know, mortgage breaking clients, eighteen months ago, and I had to go to their house twice, and. <clears throat> Somehow the concept of God came up and they kind of laughed at it like, you know, some spider in the sky nonsense. But what I couldn't get past was that every time I walked into their house, I felt so nurtured by both of them. And they both, the, the, the thought of God or something existing other than what's clearly apparent or that you can measure was laughed at. Mm. So for me, that was a huge insight that you cannot even believe in spirituality, energy, it, mm. you can honestly think it's a whole heap of crap, mm. but that doesn't change the fact that someone could be so loving, loving. and yeah. you feel so loved by them. Yeah. Even though on a, what comes out of their mouth, 
yeah. is not overly what someone would call spiritual. Yeah. So I think so much of, um, well, I think it's just an important, oh, not an important and interesting thing to talk about. It's not always about the content. It's about you, how you feel when you're with someone. Yeah. Um, that's just as important as what's coming out of their mouth. True. Very yeah. true. Yeah. Um, another question for you, Gab. You mm. talked about that you love meditating. Yes. Um, so I'm interested to hear about what meditation is for you, mm-hmm. what form that takes, how that's evolved in your life. But also you talked about how you weave it together with music and mm. you take can you talk us through that process like independently? Yeah. What's meditation to you? And yeah. then how do you integrate your musical creativity with it? Yeah, I mean, I've just moved out to a house in Croydon where I've actually got a, a, a room specific for meditation. You know, like I I don't go in there for any other purpose. It's my own space. I sit in there usually in the morning for 20 or 30 minutes. Um, depending on how I'm feeling, it's either um, just myself, like it's not guided by any, you know, um, auditory kind of track or anything like that. Sometimes I do. I'll put it on and sit there for 20 or 30 minutes. But for me, it's always been about – well, there's actually, there's two ways. One's, one's like being still and being comfortable in your, in your own isolation, in your own stillness because for me, I'm a very much of an extrovert. I love being around people. I get my energy from being around people. And so it really took me uh, – I really had to develop the, the ability or the faculty to be still by myself and not be like, oh, fuck, I need to talk to someone or I, I just, you know, I need that connection. Well, I need to learn to connect to, to myself. So that was the, one of the reasons why I started meditating. And um, but as I advanced through meditation, um, I started being able to access a lot more of the subconscious realm or higher realms, as you know, we, we sometimes say. And to a point where even like, you know, I've done some work at Tree of Life Integral Center as biofeedback, which is basically teaching people how to um, regulate their own nervous system. And an extension of that is neurofeedback, so understanding how your brain waves shape your thoughts, shape your behavior. And what I found through my own investigation was that I was very high in theta brainwave frequency, which is you know, access to the subconscious, you know, as a, as a creative, as an artist, um, I tend to be in that realm a lot, you know, and, and a lot of the time when I think back to, to school and that it's, it's almost can be seen or misdiagnosed as ADD, you know, not really being focused on in the room, but kind of like daydreaming and being out here. So meditation has allowed me to be a bit more focused and, and, and bringing that to a bit more of a central point but also because i do have that ability what i've been able to develop and it's something i'm still working on is the ability to allow the mind to go into those realms but observing it and not being in it because what happens and it's finding the balance and i'm 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 just learning to be still with it and, and tackle it but when i get in those states i hear like amazing symphonies and orchestras and lyrics and ideas that just come to me so the, the 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 thing I'm trying to develop is the ability to be aware of those things, but not go too deep into it that I either fall asleep or become too aware of it that I totally wake up. 
So it's finding that balance of just observing those things because that's where the the inspiration is. That's where the art is. You know, it's it's like it's something that comes through you. You don't own it. It exists. But if you can learn to tune into it, then you draw it into yourself. You draw it into your being. You know, it's like they, they have this analogy about, um, you know, sculptures. Like the sculpture is always there. You just got to chip away the rock, you know. And I feel the same with music. I don't – some of the songs, some of the lyrics, they're not mine. I'm just the vessel for it to come through. But in order for that to happen, I need to align myself to what's going on up there. And if I'm too focused, it doesn't come. If I'm too checked out, I don't, I don't access it. It's finding the balance, and that's where meditation has helped me immeasurably. Beautiful. Yeah. Hmm. Are we, what do you think? Are we, how long have we gone? What are we looking? How's it all looking? Have we spoken about floating? I don't think we no, need no, to. Have we spoken we? about celibacy? I don't think we need to. Nick, you know, Nick's, <laughs> no, the, no, Nick's the king of that. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, yeah, I think um, – do we still do we can we can still go? There's things to chat about, or we wrap it up? Um, yeah, I think in terms of um, just a little bit about your meditation, mm. um, and you know, in terms of your creative flow, you talk about the sculpture and you know mm. how connecting to something higher. Like um, for somebody going into trying to find their own creative pursuit, or you know, whether it be music or whatever it may be, like what's your advice for someone to try Great and question. find that connecting? connection mm. to that highest also allows some beautiful biggest, creative flow and the biggest thing is like you know and you've saying it you've said it as well be the change you know it's like having knowledge of self you know unraveling all those parts of our conditioning to get to the core of who we are and that's an, that's an ongoing process it's not something that you just do and go oh fuck i'm here you know, we're, st we're still meditating, we're still floating, we're still figuring out parts of ourselves that different layers of our being that are either serving us or they're not. And some of those things we've got to be really gentle with because they've got us to where we are. You know, they've protected us in a way or they've, they've managed to, to get us here, but they might not necessarily be serving us to where we want to go. And the only way we're ever going to get to where we want to go is uncovering those parts of ourselves. So for me, my advice is, do the work. Do the work on yourself. Find out what are those things that are holding you back. It's going to require courage. It's going to require support from others. It's going to require honesty, authenticity, all those things. But until you do that, there's always going to be blockages. There's always going to be something that's preventing you from accessing whatever it is that your subconscious is telling you that that's where it wants, wants to go. So my advice is that just to, to really be introspective, spend the time and working through those parts of you and some of those things, you, you, you know, people might be listening going, well, I think I'm in a pretty good place, you know, well, it never stops, it never stops, you know, it never stops. Um, so read a lot, read a lot of books, listen to a lot of good music. Go to a lot of good workshops that might interest you or put yourself in scenarios that you probably wouldn't feel comfortable. I think that's that's probably a good one. Mm -hmm. Put yourself in scenarios where you don't feel comfortable because that's where the growth is going to happen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think you said – actually going back something that, yeah, I just triggered back to kind of what you talked about 
because you've gone in this solo profession in terms of you're now going down the sol- solo path, but at one point you were with bands and I think mm. you had issues with the other people in the bands because you weren't aligned with your own vision or your own values. And I think that's a really important point. If I look at back a lot of business catastrophes that I've had, um, it's aligned and issues I always have without fail where you kind of go, oh, I've got to deal with this person. I look at it. And even now, even today, like when I have to deal with someone, let's say around Beyond Rest, and then I go, oh, I'm like, oh, I don't want to deal with them because there's no values alignment and there's no vision. Mm. You haven't had a collective vision that's aligned and, and values aligned. Would you say that's the same, you know, looking at – because I'm sure for some people they may have a particular path but that requires other people to actually get more reconnected to what what's important, what they value. So – there are people out there. Yeah. Um, so my point is, is that, yeah, would you say that that's a, a fair point in terms of like yeah. aligning yourself with your values with other yeah, people? Yeah, of course. But to, to know what your values are in the first place requires mm. that, that own inner work that, and that's the thing that never stops. As that process takes place, the people that align with your values, they'll present themselves to you. You know, you find that you're, you know, you're, you're attracted to that that resonance or whatever that value is like as we're here today you know to having this discussion because we're all passionate in one way or another about evolving consciousness whether you do it through beyond rest or whether you do it through music the overarching theme is the evolution of consciousness the betterment of humankind and that's the connection today i feel you know but that came from our own individual work that we're sitting here mm. Yeah, I think you're also going to run into people that don't align with your values. Mm. Like I think you're going to get what you need. You're going to get the help you need in whatever form. You're going to get people that you are going to be nourished by Mm. and you're going to be able to just workshop ideas and it's going to flow and you're going to get people that you're absolutely great with, you know, where you're so different from. And I think part of the job of being a human being is having the ability to relate to everyone. Mm. Um, and finding a way to connect in some way with everyone, even if they have vastly different values. Yeah. Because it's it's only a small sliver of the population that you're going to be, for, you know, aligned with mm. on on a number of levels. So if you just pigeonhole yourself in the fact that you're only going to surround yourself by them, then I think that's nonsense, really. Because I agree, yeah. We're so never challenged, eh? Beliefs are never challenged. Yeah. It's, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice and that's what – you're exactly right on the point there, you know? Like you're just going to be comfortable in your own whatever it is at the time, you know? Like, oh, I'm spiritual. I'm hanging around with spiritual people. Well, you become comfortable in that. But there is something to gain and learn from just being with someone – as they are, where they are, mm. at whatever point of and life, and it doesn't always look—it doesn't always look pretty. No, you know, it's going to no. bring out your ugliness, yeah, and you're going to be presented with other people's ugliness to to deal with, yeah, and not to kind of hide from, and not to, you know, I think it's important that you. I feel it's important to want to see yourself, and the most obvious way that you see yourself is when you're interacting. You're going to see the parts of yourself that are immature and that are underdeveloped and that aren't that spiritual. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of you call it the work is. It's kind of um, seeing the way that you are with people when things are going well and seeing the way you are with people when they're going crap Mm. and then reflecting on that in your own time and saying, well, 
shit. Well, I think this is it. And, and you know, again, for lack of a better term, we say spiritual, but really what we're, we're saying is evolving our consciousness, you know, and people kind of see spirituality as this thing where it's like enlightenment, where you kind of, you rise above, but really it's, it's about going in, you know, it's about, it's a, it's a deconstructive process. It's about removing layers. It's, it's going within and, and looking at those parts of us that we may not necessarily want to be looking at or confronting. And there, there is a tendency for people to bypass that and say, oh, I'm spiritual. Oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and not confronting those things, you know. So it's, it's really clear that we're, for those that are listening, that when we say spirituality, and I think in our sense we're talking about, you know, that knowledge of self about doing the work and going in, not to be seen to be doing something, which is just a form of bypass, really. It's like I don't want to have to confront those things. So I'm just going to meditate every day and I'm going to do all this and I'm going to do yoga and I'm going to be vegan and I'm spiritual. Yet, you know, there's all this stuff under the surface that's kind of going, you know, and, and it always almost comes back and bites you in the ass one way or another. That's what I found. Mm. Yeah. Or self, self-awareness, yeah. we could say. Yeah. Rather than kind of, yeah, and as another kind of angle or viewpoint on it of just becoming more self-aware yeah. of the things that you got going on within yourself. Yeah. And that as you begin become reconnected to kind of what's important, you run into those people that will expose you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and expose yourself and all your 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 negatives, so to speak, um, and be aware of the, those negatives and that be okay with them but through those through those kind of frictions that you have with people that will grind you <laughs> and you grind them, I think you then become more connected to what's important to you and then you can seek out yeah, blessings, those, aren't those, they? Yeah. those people that align with you that then you can go down your path of whatever's important to you with. Yeah. And I think that's where you can get some – that was really my lesson really in terms of within business and dealing with lots of people that I'm – becoming more and more aware to the day. I'm, like, I'm not going to waste a second with someone that's like, yep, you grinded me. Yeah, okay, cool. I'm getting some lessons here and then, yeah, I'll find someone that's more connected to yeah. what's important to me. Yep. Yep. The big question, Nick, you going to ask it? The big question. The big question. This is the question that we want to try and well, – we're going to ask every right every, every session besides the first one because I forgot. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's kind of – I think the way we look at it is that kind of packages up everything we've talked about in the context of your life. Um, so, Nick, the big question, mate. Big well, question. Yeah, well, in terms of um, – so, the biggest regret of the dying is that um, – so, there was a study done a few years ago on people lying on their deathbed and what they did was just found out what the most common thing um, that people had with their regrets of their life. And the biggest regret of the dying is that 75% of people wish they live a life that was true to themselves – rather than what others wanted them to live. So like in the context of that, how do you feel that you're living your life right now? I think I'm on path. I think I'm past my, my authentic truth. Um, you know, in that period of leaving the band that I described before really, really made me question what it is I wanted to achieve out of my life and music was – the vehicle to do that. You know, so much so that I've actually got, in, I've got a little studio at home and I've got my purpose up there on the wall. I know definitively what it is and what I'm doing and why I do it. 
So I would say that, um, you know, I'm very focused about what it is I want, well, what it is I want, but how it is I want to change the world. That's the purpose. Am I living my truth? And, you know, like I said to you guys before, I have moments where I, I, I go into those, and we all do, we go to those sort of self-doubt moments where, fuck, is this, you know, I could just be doing this. and But at the end of the day, that's just a fleeting thought. And then when I think about music and when I talk about music, I'm a different person. It's a different energy. So, oh, man, like just even from the conversation today, mm. just hearing you at the start, like it, you can feel it. Yeah. You, 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 you know, you just, it's, you, you can feel it. When you're yeah. talking about music and, you know, with what your hands are doing, you just, there's just this, yeah, there's a beauty about it. Yeah. You know, you just really feel, it's kind of poetic even when you're talking about it. Yeah. So just from this interaction, for sure, what you just said, you, you when you're talking about it, you just become this, yeah. this version of yourself that's awesome to be around. Not that the other version when you're not talking about it, but to be honest, I don't know you that well. Yeah. I just loved where, you know, the place you put me in when you yeah. were. Thanks, man. When you were yeah. going for well, let's it. Let's hang out more. Yeah, we should. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. <laughs> come around. I know you're a nice guy. Reconnection yeah. here. You guys, you guys come reconnect because you've inspired me today, actually, I must say, to do something that I've always wanted to do, and that is to start my own podcast and have, you know, musicians on and talk about music and, you know, have these kind of conversations. And um, So we have to be a musician to go on your podcast? No, you don't. Too? Musicians just want to, you know, that would be my... my one of my prime, uh, you know, groups that I would talk Highlighting to. Highlighting Melbourne, Melbourne hey? Musos. Melbourne Musos. We'll probably call it Gabin with Gab. What do you reckon? <laughs> um, but I would love to have you guys on when I'm up and running and we can uh, we can extend the conversation. Um, I'll brush up my recorder yeah. skills. <laughs> Trying you <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, work the bing. Yep. More cowbell. Okay. More cowbell. Now, a little... Quick triplet of questions from me that are becoming yep. a bit of a cult following. Okay. They're not at all. Yeah. It's just the second time I've done them. Um, okay. So, 2v1, two things you really like about yourself. Yes. And one that you're not overly comfortable with. Okay. What do I like about myself? I think, uh, I, think I like my, my ability to, to connect with people. You know, I really, that's, as I said before, I'm quite extroverted and being around people is something that I love to do. I love to know what makes a person tick like what are they about what's their passion like um and um and my ability to try and bring confidence to those that don't you know i, I think that's one of my strengths and um it's something that i like about myself what i don't like about myself um and this is something that shows up quite a lot is that i have a tendency right to it could be the slightest, you know, maybe a lot of people will experience this as well, but this is something I'm like, fuck, I really take it to the extreme here. I could have the, the slightest little ailment or thing and I'm like, I'm stressing out that I'm dying. Wow, wow it's a big one, right? Like, you know, I've, um, number of things, oh, I've got a pain here, therefore I must be having fucking heart failure. It's fully intense, you know, and that's to do, and I've, I've found out with like my, um, uh, you know, my personality, like if you look at the Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP, extroverted, intuitive, feeling, perspective. So I'm very much in tune with what's going on out there. 
and tuning into a room and extrovert, intuitive in that sense, feeling into things. But when it comes to introverted sensing within myself, I'm a little bit disjointed, which is hence the meditation and trying to develop that part of me because I do have a tendency to just like go, holy fuck, like I've got, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I've, I've got a bad stomach. Well, it must be this or, oh, my kidneys are fucked, <laughs> you know? Hypochondria. Oh my God. It's, it's, look, it's not that bad, but it, it comes in waves and, um, you know, and you can talk to my friends, uh, the number of ailments that I've overcome over my period and I'm amazingly, I'm still here. <laughs> HIV, um, kidney failure, heart issues, um, fucking there's a list. So it really is something that I, that I dislike about myself. And I know that I, I put myself in this situation of like stressing, stressing out when I really don't need to. Um, but, you know, that's something I'm working on. And um, touch wood, I've made it to, to here without dying or having anything wrong. So all is well. Okay, next question, private parts. Your favourite thing about the way you look and your least favourite thing about the way you look. <laughs> private parts. I love it. Um, what is it, the, the most favourite thing about the way I look? Yeah, what do, you, what do you look in the mirror and think, yeah, I like that. Oh, know? my God. Probably my hair, eh? Yeah, I thought yeah, you'd yeah. say that's it's beautiful. It. I shaved it off three years ago and I decided I'm just going to grow it and keep growing it. Yep. And so much so that I get I get the, the you know the the females coming up and saying you have amazing hair and I think right. thank you I do because I love it and I grow it out and it's part of me it connects me to the to the spirit Seems world so. you know it's like my antenna I can That's tune right into too. peeps with it so my hair is pretty cool <laughs> what I don't like about part I don't like about yeah what do you look in the mirror and go oh, ideally that would be a little different I got chicken legs okay yeah I wish I had great calves which is why I spoke about yours before. Right. You've know, you got some really good calves there, Paul. Yeah. So I've got like, you know, fairly decent quads. But these twig, twig little little calves just sitting there taking up space. <laughs> but um, yeah, but that's not a big thing. But it is what it is. It is. Yep. So Margatsny, Nick. Margatsny <laughs> is rever reverse Instagram. So it's Instagram backwards. Oh, yeah. So this yeah. is your Margatsny moment. Right. Um, and the reason I ask this question is that Instagram and social media, no doubt, gives an opportunity to people for people to express themselves. But I think it also creates a problem when people are comparing their life to what shows up on someone else's feed or whatever it's called, because that's the top 1% of what they're going through. So it's just to bring a bit of awareness, which I think needs to be brought to the fact that other people's lives aren't their Instagram feed or their Facebook. Um, and your reverse Instagram, how does that look in your life? If you were to put a picture up of you when things are just going not great and you're feeling insecure mm. or stressed or just, you know, doubting your path, mm. you know, what's your reverse Instagram? My reverse Instagram is actually probably being more on Instagram. Yeah. You know, like, because to be honest, social media is one of those things. If I wasn't in music, I probably wouldn't use it that much. Like very rarely. But I find that when I'm in like that, I'm not in flow or I'm not in, you know, a state of just being in the moment that I, I tend to fall back into just like swiping and looking at stuff and you know, I, I could spend half an hour and go, what am I, what have I actually done, you know? And, and that usually translates to other facets of my life. Like I'll be eating poorly or I won't be going to the gym or going for a run. I won't be meditating. Everything just kind of falls. 
So if you were to catch me in the in the reverse Instagram, what did you call it? Margatsny. Margatsny. <laughs> You'd probably just see a very sedentary person, you know, maybe sitting, not doing much at all, you know, not being creative, just flat, you know. Yep. And, you know, I have those moments. They, they, they show up and I've learned that it's, I'm aware of it when I'm in it as opposed to just letting it consume me. Where in the past it would have, like I could have been like that for like two months, you know, and um, and and the more you stay in it, the deeper it goes. But to find now that it's usually something that's surfacing, and I just let it surface, do its take its course, and then you know back to where I was. So yeah, that's, cool. That's that. One on the spot question to you, Nick. Dear Beyond Rest, this is going to be the Dear Beyond Rest segment, <laughs> if I'm on. <laughs> so this is going to be to you, the founder of Beyond Rest. Dear Beyond Rest, I can buy Epsom salt from Coles for 4 bucks 50 and I've got a bath at home. Why would I pay $79 to come and do the same in your tanks? Is it really that good? Love, Anna. Well, Anna... <laughs> Um, technically, um, the difference within a bath with some Epsom salts, you probably need about a couple of hundred bucks worth um, of Epsom salt to put in your bath and then that would let you float. Um, yeah, you could put Epsom salts in, you'll get the magnesium benefit. So that's one of the benefits, you know. Um, but if you put, you know, a hundred bucks worth of magnesium in your bath, you might float. You might you float but main may not float that well. You might put a couple of hundred bucks in. So you've probably paid a couple of hundred bucks to, to float within your bath. Then the water will actually change temperature while you're in there. So we heat the tanks to 34 and a half degrees, which is skin neutral, and then the air um, so that you begin to lose the sensation of where your body begins and where you know the water ends um, so that you lose sense sensation of basically being within a body. Um, so what that does is then shut down your um, it doesn't shut down, but 90% of your brain is controlling your central nervous system. And when you take the central nervous system out of play from your brain, your brain allows it to heal itself. So, and then also in your bath, you've probably got a light on, you're probably aware of your surroundings. So within our tanks, you lose all external stimuli. Um, so, so yeah, so from that point of view, a bath is nice and relaxing, but then completely losing your senses, you're not going to do in your bath. It'd be great if you could. Mm. Is, can I ask you guys both the question being uh, beyond rest, um, you know, owners, whatever you want to call it? Do you, uh, what do you find uh, when people are coming in for a float um, is the best way to, I haven't put this into words. When, when someone comes in off the street, for example, and they want to float and they don't know much about it, how do you how do you explain that to them, the benefits of it? Like if I was just coming in like, hey, I've heard about floating, to that make them want to then float and explore whatever it is that they're thinking about? I'd say um, simply find your magical silence. You know, what is um, – from when you're actually in silence, just, yeah, for the normal person, it's, you wouldn't even go to that level, but people are intrigued by silence because it's so rare 
the distractions that we've got within today's day and age. We're constantly stimulated by so many different things. It's pretty rare that we've got a moment by ourselves with no external stimulation. So much so there was this, a study done recently where they put people within a room on a couch and there was a button on the wall and they said, press that button and they got electrocuted and they go, how much are you going to pay us to not hit that again? I'll give you 10 bucks, 20 bucks or whatever it is. They're like, okay, can you just give us all your devices? And then they left them in that room with that button. 75% of people at the end of that um, study actually pressed the button. Wow. I like 75% actually. There's, I've got two stats I've brought up today with that. <laughs> so I'm pretty wow. sure it's around that mark, you know. But um, yeah. 75%. So that shows you the epidemic we're in in today's day and age in terms of people not being able to handle being by themselves and mm. it's so rare to have that moment by yourself flirting with all external st- senses away. Um, but yeah, ultimately for someone coming off, it's just stress relief. You know, it's a relaxation thing. It's back pain relief. Um, but for the most part, it's just a different thing for people to try and as once they've done it a few times and you know, from there they'll be able to see themselves, you know, that this is something that's quite important. Yeah. Especially they don't have a practice. For people that have yoga and meditation mm. and Reiki and et cetera, or their own healing modalities, they've got their own thing. For them coming in to have a float, they, they get the, the point of it, but they've got their own thing. But for the most people, you know, working away in the CBD and, you know, grinding away and, you know, for that moment to just have that stillness and nothing, that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I just, I always think it's just people tend to be drawn to the center in some way. There's just a curiosity and they're following it. Mm-hmm. They don't really know. It's like, oh, you know, so-and-so told me and thought I'd check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, give it a go. Float three times and if it's not for you, never come back. Mm. Don't shit can it when you've never done it. Mm. Don't pass comment on it that it's just going to be boring and a waste of money. Um, if you haven't done it, because that's very that's ignorant. Yeah. So come in, have three floats. You'll know within three floats whether it's something that is in some way beneficial. That's great. So you guys do that light therapy. Um, what, what's that called again as well? The Arjuna light. Yeah. So for some people, we don't. It's not for everyone, but it's um, yeah. You lie back, and then you've got this light that stimulates. You know, flashes. So basically, if you're epileptic, forget about it. <laughs> Um, you know, um, the creator of it believes that it can help that, but we're staying away from that one. Um, but yeah, pretty much you lie back and you've got this LED light flashing while you've got your eyes closed and you begin to see kind of kaleidoscope psychedelic patterns. Um, but ultimately what it does is entrain your brain down to a theta um, frequency. So by the time you get into the tank, a lot of people can float and your mind's racing and people come out going, oh, you know, I didn't quite relax because my mind was racing the whole time while I was in there. What the Arjunite does is actually just help you get to a calmer theta frequency. Yeah. So when we're busy, our mind is in beta frequency mm-hmm. as we're kind of, you know, looking outside. If you're listening to this and all the trains and cars and all that kind of stuff going around and listening to our voices, you're in that you know, beta frequency, but when you're in that half awake, half asleep, just before you're going to sleep, that's your theta frequency. And that's what we like to, what you get into when you're in the, the flotation tank, which you wouldn't get in the bath as much. And, <laughs> you wouldn't you get know, in the bath. Um, you Unless know. you're me, because I have love, that's, that's my thing. I'm quite high in theta. Check out quite a bit and daydreamy. And a lot of musicians probably would be yeah, high in Yeah, a lot theta. of artists. Yeah, yeah, they have that. That they call the artist peak through that range. Whereas um, the office worker would be very much beta. Beta. Yeah. 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 So. Cool. cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, well, thanks yeah. for having me. Melbourne Reconnect. See uh, you guys on Gabbin with Gab. Yeah.
three relatively nice guys trying to live meaningful lives. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Thanks for having me, fellas.